the customer is still at the heart of everything that you need to design. Welcome back to the Meta Business Innovation and Technology Podcast. And we're going to be continuing our conversation around the future of work and how digital transformation has enabled that those shifts, uh, particularly around how businesses do business. So one of the things that I'd love to jump straight into is a key part of, of all of this has been the fact that the future of work is changing. You know, Julie mentioned at the start that that she's in the office for the first time today. I'm recording this podcast myself from the office where I haven't been for two years, but because of all of the new technologies that have come around, we are able to do these things that even just a couple of years ago would have been very challenging to organize or rearrange even. And so as we see this future of work changing and more of these possibilities opening up, like Ben, to go straight to you, like what do you envision as the future of work and how will partners like Meta and Salesforce, they play into this? Such a tough question. It's the literal trillion dollar question. And again, like we talked in the first half of this podcast, it's just so different today than it was even what I don't think anybody expected us to be in the situation that we're in now. This is hugely important for a number of levels. Like if you think about the macro situation we're in from a, from a hiring perspective, there's a lot of open jobs out there and not a lot of people filling those jobs. Um, it becomes a key point of differentiation. Now, I think the future of work now is how are you hiring the right people? You know, what are you offering them in terms of, you know, to, to Julie's point earlier, work from home, remote work, flex time agreements, uh, access to technology. You know, what, what are you going to bring to the table to bring these folks in? I think values is now a huge piece of that as well. Like what if from an organizational perspective, how are you trying to attract the right people who align with what you're doing as a company? And how do you give them the experience when they're at work that makes them engaged and feel like they're not getting burnout or they've got ways to kind of balance it's really tricky. And so it's, you know, again, like we're, I feel like Salesforce has really leaned into this and done a, a lovely job from a personal perspective. They have taken care of their people as the first primary goal over the past couple of years and continue to do so. We have no expectation to go back into the office. There's no push for that to be a mandatory thing. It's now become really optional. And to be frank, a lot of folks are reevaluating what's the benefit of going into the office. If I've got access to these tools, to your earlier question, if I'm using Slack and I'm connected, if I'm able to access all of the applications that I need and I've got the tools that I, uh, that I need in front of me to be productive, and I've got buy-in from my executive leadership and my direct line manager to do the right things for my own well-being, that's a good spot to be. Now you just go back to that original question of how do we make sure from a digital transformation perspective that we're keeping on trend, that we're giving folks the stuff that they need, that they've got access to those tools, that they feel like they're not behind the learning curve. And there's other ways that we're trying to lean in to make sure that that experience is, is better than it has been. You know, we, we just opened a Trailblazer Ranch, which actually is behind my house, oddly enough, for folks to be able to get together, but not in an office environment. So we, we acknowledge the fact that personal connection and work connection is super important, but there's a shift from a, a leadership perspective at Salesforce that maybe that doesn't have to happen in a tower in, a, in San Francisco or in London or in Dublin or in Singapore. Maybe it can happen at a ranch where folks are getting together in an environment that's a little bit different than they're used to and might remove some of those obstacles to coordination. The short answer to your question is, I am not sure, but we're trying to make sure that we're meeting people where their priorities are today. It's a different set of factors. You know, I, I do think that work-life burnout and retaining and attracting key talent are huge factors for any company right now. And you've got to be able to address those with that 
the set of tools you've got with your approach, with your culture, with the way that you're allowing people to have agency to make their own decisions. I couldn't agree more. I think that you know, the future of work is being reimagined right now, and we're all a big part of it. So similar to what Ben talked about, thinking about the values and the company mission, it's more important now than ever to employees. And we as employees have the opportunity to help build really inclusive cultures that allow us to usher in this new way of working, whether you're in-person, hybrid, remote, or another way of um, working model that I'm sure we'll spout out. I think about, too, from a personal experience, just how far we've come into the future. So I actually went out on maternity leave in March 2020. So it was right as the pandemic was happening. And when I came back, everybody was fully remote. So I'm not going to lie. I was a little terrified to come back. One, I couldn't find a desk because of all the furniture shortage. And that's like a separate story and issue. But two, I was like, everybody has like six months on me on this remote thing. Like, how am I going to catch up? What's it going to be like? How do I stay connected to folks? A lot of the tools and ways of working, we're just, we were further along than we thought. So I loved workplace to stay connected to leadership and our company values and mission. But then also too, we have Portal, which is a basic a tablet that sits on your desk, but it allows for more of an immersive video experience. So it's actually my favorite product. It follows you around the room. It just makes kind of your conversations more engaging. And then lately, as we think about this new chapter, my team actually now all has Quest, so the headsets that you can put on and go into VR. And we've been doing a February challenge where we do a handful of internal meetings every week in Horizon Workrooms, which is our virtual reality conference room. Um, product. So you're in there as an avatar, you have a whiteboard, you can share your screen, and it just shows how the barriers of location are really breaking down and it allows for this really fun, engaging experience. First of all, the first meeting you do with anybody is just all about like your avatar, like your outfit, your hair, and it's like really fun. Um, and then you can get into the work later, but it is a really cool way where you can envision where you have kind of to Ben's point, a dispersed workforce across the world all still coming together for a really inclusive level playing field around a virtual table. And I think it's just the beginning here. And there's a ton of innovation that's kind of able to happen with this trend. And I'm excited to be part of it from a B2B perspective, but also part of it from an employee perspective as we all build the future of work together. So I'd agree, like the workrooms piece, I wouldn't say I was a skeptic of it, but you know, it, I've had a question, you know, I was always like, oh, do I need to set it up now? I'll just have the meeting uh, normally. And then me and one of my colleagues were like, no, we're gonna we're gonna do our meeting in VR from now on. And once we've got it all set up, like it was actually like a revelation of how much more connected we felt, even though you couldn't see you know, the real person, just with all of the gestures and the nuances and the spatial side of it. So I completely agree with you. Like the workrooms piece is is a fascinating fascinating experience. And if and if you haven't tried it, you know, I, I'd encourage. I'd encourage you to have a go because it really does set what the future of work could be in terms of collaboration and, and working with people in vast distances while still feeling connected and, and like you're in the same place. I want to just touch upon some of the things that we've mentioned. And and in one of the previous episodes that we've had, we had Jake Bailey from LinkedIn, and we talked about the concept of customer centricity and really how it's key for the, the B2C digital transformation. You know, one of the quotes that, that Mark has said has been that every digital transformation is going to begin and end with the customer. And he can see that in the minds of every CEO he talks to. So it's clear how you can see that apply for B2C. But do you think there's any different principles, Ben? And you know, since it was Mark's quote, I'll come to you first about whether that applies to 
B2B any differently? Are there any different principles? Or do you think it's the same principles just expressed in, in a slightly different way? It's the same principle expressed in a different way. I mean, as we've been mentioning on these chats, the customer is still at the heart of everything that you need to design. I think the expectations are drastically different from a B2B to B2C perspective. I'll use a, a little anecdote with Mark in mind. So he, we had our, uh, our global kickoff and Mark shared a story where he was meeting with the CEO of a large auto manufacturer. And we have this thing called the customer 360, where we kind of represent all of our solutions in, in a wheel format, including Slack, including these other options. It can be confusing, but it's a great conversation starter for us. It allows us to sort of talk through, we're not just a suite of products. There's a solution set here. The idea is to engage companies with where their problems are and give them those solutions. The CEO at the auto manufacturer looked at that and said, that's really confusing. I don't understand it. What I need is a holistic solution with my customer at the center, which the customer 360 is, but it didn't translate to this person's language. So there's this linguistic translation capability of what are you actually trying to do? But it was really interesting to hear, you know, from a legacy big four auto manufacturer, how focused on the customer they are and how from a business perspective, they need to be looking at what are the solution sets that we're building? What is the digital transformation that we're bringing to the table? How are we competing against our, our rivals? to focus on that customer experience. So at the end of the day, it's really when someone chooses to buy a car from this dealer, they're not going to walk into the dealership anymore. They're going to probably engage in a completely different way than they did in the past. How do we make sure that we're meeting them where they're comfortable, that we're offering these solutions? And what can Salesforce or other companies do to help us get there faster? I think that's the, the principle still there. And those individual expectations of consumers carries over from, from our home experience into our buying experience. And businesses have to figure out how to meet them on that common ground. Customer centricity is the charter of our team in business engineering. It's infused in everything we do from working directly with businesses to building tools and services to serve them. I would say the term customer centricity in particular makes me think about digital acceleration workshops. These are sessions that my team runs to go as deep as possible with the business and help accelerate them in the future. So we talk about things like pain points, moonshots, the low-hanging fruit we might have missed. We dive into these questions and make a playbook that they can use to be as effective as possible on our platform. We actually ran a session recently with a very large B2B client, and it proved to actually accelerate their business. So when we say customer centricity, that's something that my team is focused on locally, and Meta as a whole is focused on. So I would say it's kind of second nature to us and we dive in as much as possible. So I really want to build on top of this idea of, of, of customer centricity. And Julie, as, as someone, you work with B2B customers and clients like day in, day out, and, and even it may be your calling in life to some respects. So how do you think the, the, the customer's expectations have changed since the pandemic? And as someone who works with B2B brands day in and day out, like how do you work with them to meet those customer expectations with all of the change that's been going on around them? Yeah, it's a great question and something we've been working with partners a lot on. I think there's a couple different things. One, as you mentioned, the customer expectation is definitely different. I think one thing is we call it you're the, the microwave customer. They want it hot and they want it now. So there's really this demand. For you. 
<laughs> and it's like, it's, it's hard to do. It's really hard to do. So how do you provide that really seamless experience from the first touch point all the way through? And I think that's where a lot of the digital transformation that we talked about earlier comes in of just making it a really seamless, fast digital experience for your customers, whether it's customer service, whether it's the first touch point from the lead generation, the first time you talk to a sales team, you know, how do you make it super, super turnkey for the customer? That's the expectation today, which is hard. I think the other one, we talked on this from an employee perspective, but the values and the mission of the company matter. So decision makers want to feel good about the brand that they're choosing for their software needs and their digital transformation needs. So having that connection, that emotional connection to the brand is a really big deal. And it's a shift within B2B. I think we've seen this over the last couple of years, but prior to that, B2B companies were really focused on marketing the product and the services. What's the product? How's it going to help the business? And what's the service or software that is going to make your business better, faster, stronger? Now we're seeing B2B brands starting to focus on why Salesforce, like why the brand? Why should you care about us? And why should you feel good about working with us kind of from the macro level? And then, yes, you'd always talk about the product and services kind of in the mid funnel. And then how do you close that deal? But that's been really interesting to see. And I think one thing to show that the industry continues to move in this direction is this is actually the first year that CanLion introduced a B2B category. So they've been tracking the B2B space since 2013. They thought about maybe adding a category before. And they felt like the industry, B2B industry, wasn't quite ready. But over the past couple of years, they've seen that a number of finalists within their other categories have been B2B brands. And they felt that the industry was ready this year to have their own category. And I think that's a big moment for this industry that they're really competing against those B2C brands for emotional connection and really tying to their brand base. I think one other example I like to share here is prior to this trend, you would be more emotionally connected to a bottle of Tide that you can go out and buy tomorrow and the next day and the next day than you are to your multi-million billion dollar cloud provider. And I think that's changing and that's fun to see because as a business decision maker, you're putting your career on the line in some ways and the different software you're bringing in to help you digitally transform your business. It's super interesting how it's changed. Julie, I, I don't mean to pick on on anyone, but you know, there used to be a saying 10 years ago that if you bought, nobody gets fired for buying IBM. But no one could tell you what IBM's values were. They just, you know, it was just safe. We added sustainability to our, our corporate values actually today, which is such an odd thing to think of 25 years ago. If somebody had sustainability as a corporate value, you would dismiss them out of hand as being irrelevant. So it has completely changed to meet consumer understanding. Like I, I agree with you 100% that people are buying based on values. And again, now it's you don't get fired for buying IBM, but you might get fired for buying somebody that doesn't have a focus on green initiatives or a values-based ecosystem or a leadership team that has a, you know, a position in world affairs. Like these are weird times that we live in that that's now an important decision, but it is adapting to consumer expectations that a, a B2B company has to have more than just the best product. There's decisions that are outside of that. It's really interesting. I love the comment of the, the microwave generation, by the way. Like, I've never heard that before. Like, that's, that's fascinating. I think with that change in, in customer expectations, your businesses are having to deal with things on two fronts. You know, they're having to deal with the change in customer expectations. But as you've both mentioned, they're also having to deal with changes in expectations of the people that they employ and the expectations that they have to hire the best talent. And that all comes down to things like the future of work. So if you're sat there, you're trying to run your business, and you're sat there thinking, okay, well, I have to think about digital transformation. Like, when's that going to end? I have to think about the future of work. Like, when's that going to end? 
And that's probably not the best way to think about it. So I'd love, I'd love Ben to, for companies that are sat there thinking that, you know, this is a phase, you know, this is a thing they just have to get to the finish line for, they're most likely not going to be the companies that are going to be able to thrive the best in this, this environment. So what advice or what guidance would you be recommending to them about how they can actually evolve with the change versus being forced to adapt after the fact that change has already happened? Every organization needs to make the decisions that are best for them. There's my blanket coverage statement. Um, but I do think you got to give yourself permission to, to fail. I think that's an important one. Like there's going to be some trends that you might adapt to that don't pan out. Um, but it's better to try something and not have it work than to not try at all. I think to your point, Jordan, any organization of any size, if you are selling a product to a consumer at this point, you have to have a digital focus, period, full stop. There's just no way to get around it. And to Julie's point earlier, e-commerce is no longer something that's a nice to have. If you do not have an e-commerce solution and you are not figuring out how to sell your products through digital means, you are not going to last very long. So I think the prioritization is huge. You know, keep your perspective. What are the things that are important for you? What can you do and what can't you do? Let the conversations happen around prioritization. I think that's really important. It's important at Salesforce as well. We have to give people agency to say, I can do this or I can't. But again, take those risks, think creatively. None of us know, no matter how much you believe somebody's opinion, we have no idea what's going to happen in the next two years. But if you sit back and wait for it to happen, then you're not going to be ready for it. If you're at least trying some new things and, and leveraging new tactics and trying new approaches, you're going to find some that stick and you're going to find yourself in a much better position. Ben, I, I couldn't agree more. It's really a mindset shift that there's no end point. You really need to be taking chances and creatively moving the business forward. There's a saying we like to say here at Meta that you're testing, learning, iterating and actioning and being able to do that repetitively. So there's no end point. And I think a value that we have here at Meta or value, I should say, a mantra is that we're only 1% finished. So Mark Zuckerberg talks about this a lot, that our mission as a company is only 1% finished. And when you think about that, you think about all that we've accomplished, you're like, oh my gosh, that's only 1%. So it sometimes can be jarring and daunting, but actually it really just shows you how much more you have to grow in the future ahead of you. So it actually can also be really inspiring. And I think that's true for digital transformation in the future of work. Like we're at the very beginning here and there's a ton of runway for us to continue to take advantage of youth trends and build our businesses for the future. I would say my thoughts are along the lines of what Ben and Julie mentioned, right? So principles I think about are staying informed, taking risks, and thinking creatively. So the industry changes extremely rapidly. It's very hard to keep up, but we have to keep up. So different problems and solutions come and go, but the ability to know what's happening or in some cases about to happen, will allow for swift, swifter action. Keeping in mind that not everything will be perfect along the way, right? Some things we think are going to turn out great don't necessarily turn out that way. Some things that we think are extremely risky and long shots actually come to fruition. So I think it's incumbent upon each of these businesses to really uh, take risk, try, and think creatively, right? So some solutions might work for you that don't work for other clients. Maybe something you brainstorm on internally actually works out very well. Um, you haven't seen anyone else in the industry doing it. Do that, right? So like really taking specific use cases and rolling them up and executing in a way that no other business could. Those principles, just stay informed, take those risks and think creatively. Um, and I believe that sets everyone up well for success. 
we're coming up to the closing part of today, and I know we've covered a lot. We've covered you know, very big, meaty topics from digital transformation and the future of work in, in the B2B context. So if the listeners were going to take one thing away from this podcast, what would be the single biggest thing you think they need to focus on within the next six months to really make sure they're going down this road in the most positive way possible? And Ben, I'm going to go to you first. We are seeing some significant shifts on a macro perspective as it relates to COVID. There is now, you know, I saw a really interesting tweet about New York City that, uh, you know, it's lunchtime in New York and all of the outdoor cafes are packed, but nobody's in the office. So I think the next six months are going to are going to really show that people want to go back to some sense of normalcy, but they don't want to go back to a traditional office environment. So you've got to understand what does that evolution look like? Again, nobody's going to know, but you have to have the tools and flexibility to understand do we have the ability to let people continue to work remotely? Do we have a stance on what that returning to office motion is going to look like? Are we focused on what the customer experience is for our employees and making sure that they're happy, engaged, and focused on their well-being? Honestly, that's the short term. That's probably the most important thing. Like, Let's make sure people are, are getting the resources they need across all levels, mental health, physical health, technology at home, and let's embrace the fact that it feels like we're coming into a new phase of the pandemic, which should be a a much more fun and collaborative and engaging in a physical way. And we need to be ready for it. I'm here in New York, Ben, so I couldn't agree more. Everybody's, the Broadway's packed. You can't get a reservation anymore. And yet I'm in the office and there's like 10 people here. So it's very funny as to how that's happening. But yeah, it's showed that there's a shift in terms of how people want to work and where they want to work. I think in terms of the next six months, the number of topics that we talked about, what's interesting is it doesn't sit squarely within one team's remit anymore within an organization. Like it spans so many different experts and disciplines. So I would say if you're early in this journey or in the middle of this journey, thinking about getting experts from all your different disciplines and bringing them together and kind of giving them a similar remit and goals and ability to move forward um, is really kind of how you're going to make traction here because your one team won't be able to do this alone. And that will be able to allow you kind of break barriers, whether and many of you have these, whether it's a task force or a tiger team, or you rename it something really fun and sexy. So everybody wants to work on it. Like that is, I think, also a path to the future to be able to tackle some of these big transitions and pivots for us. So I want to give a big thank you to Ben, Julie and Ish for all of the input and conversation we've had today. If you wanted to learn more about the B2C conversation we had, you can listen to our previous episode with Jake Bailey from LinkedIn. And all the content we've discussed today, you'll be able to find references and resources mentioned in our show notes. And so thank you for listening to the Meta Business Innovation and Technology Podcast. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review.